What's the best prank you ever pulled? I don't remember because I'm 87. That's good. (laughs) Hey, this is Reba McIntyre along with Melissa Peterman. Welcome to our podcast, Living and Learning. Hey, Melissa, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you, Reeves? Doing very well. Excited about our topic today, overcoming rejection. You're excited? Yeah, I am. I want to hear how you overcome rejection. Well, I, I'm i not the expert we're having on today, but I think I'm an expert on rejection. So I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it, too. I think it's great. Oh, we're so excited to have Rita Moreno on the show today. Rita is an actress, dancer, and singer whose career has spanned over 70 years. Reba, she is an EGOT. What? We, an EGOT. What's that? Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Oh, my gosh. I know. I've never talked to an EGOT before. Me neither. Okay, Rita was also in West Side Story. Love that movie. Watched it mm-hmm. again. And she dated Marlon Brando. Oh, and Elvis. As in Presley. <laughs> wow. I know. She overcame a whole lot in her life to have the incredible career that she has had. Can't wait to talk with her all about it. Anybody in our business knows rejection. Yes, has dealt with it quite a few times. And I think everybody can relate to it, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're an actor or not. People, sure, we're all rejected. Yeah, you know, waiting in the audience and you're up for an award and you don't get that or you're waiting at home for a job interview and you go to that and you're so excited and you leave and you're waiting on a call and you don't get it. There's so many levels personally, professionally about rejection, how you can learn to live with rejection, how you're going to react when you get rejected. So that's all the things we're going to deal with today. I'm excited. So when were you rejected? When wasn't I rejected? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, it started. I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. (laughs) Giant baby. Just a giant, Uh, giant baby. We're talking big. Just wanting to fit in. Yeah, I've been, I can think about a million jobs that that I had or that I really wanted and got close to. I can think about boys that didn't like me. I can think about pants that rejected me because I was too tall <laughs> as a kid. I couldn't be a cheerleader. I didn't make dance team until I found my people or my my niche, I suppose. I was rejected many times. And some of that's just figuring out where you do fit in. Yeah, you can't just stay comfortable all your life. Sometimes there's a a rug jerked out from under you and you've got to say, okay, I I think there's a better way of doing things. And so I think rejection is very positive. So thank you for getting me on the right track with that. Well, I can tell you the best rejection story I have because I probably wouldn't have met you. Okay, go ahead. Right before the Reba TV show started, I had booked another sitcom and it was a big sitcom. It was starring John Goodman, who was amazing. And i got recast, which is a Hollywood nice way to say fired, which Uh happens all the time. And it was awful. And I was devastated. And I remember thinking, I have to tell my parents I got fired. And they were so excited. They were already measuring for my walk of fame star. And, you know, it was awful. But I, I got through it and got up and auditioned the next day. And the next job I booked after getting fired was the Reba TV show. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember you telling me that. I would not have been available probably to audition for that show had I not been fired from this other show. And 
that's where I was supposed to be. And that was, you know, in the moment, sometimes that lesson was hard, but in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Yay. So I'm so glad that you (laughs) got rejected. Yay. You're so glad I got fired. Yes, I am. But overcoming rejection is a thing that empowers you. You have overcome that rejection. You have gone a step up. So you know whatever is going to come towards you in the future, you can face it. You can take it on. It, it makes you stronger. It does. Like Kelly's song, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. So go for it. Mm-hmm. My rejection was in 1978 when I was playing the Cowtown Picking Party, and I didn't have a band of my own, so I was using another band. And the band was supposed to back me. Well, they got all their stuff together and they left. So a rock and roll band was going to back me and they didn't know any of my songs and they didn't know any country songs. So we finally agreed on three songs to do. And uh, John Conley was the headline and everybody was singing, uh, saying, hollering, get off the stage. We want John Conley. And I said, hey, I got to do my three songs. And and uh, I think I did them twice. I don't know, but <laughs> it was terrible. And finally I got off the stage and the guy from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram was backstage later to interview me. And um, Red Steagle, I think, got me that interview. And, and he said, well, now, what are you going to do? you just going to go home and quit? And I said, shoot, no, I'm not going to quit. Mama and I are on our way to Nashville for fanfare. And we're going to talk to the booking agent and we're going to get me a band. And so if I hadn't been rejected, I probably never would have stood up and said, things have got to change. So there's always a good reason for rejection. It's kind of a wake-up call. Well, we're going to get into a lot more with overcoming rejection. Miss Rita Moreno is going to be here. I love stories, so I know she's got some great ones for us. Well, Rita, what we're doing today is a podcast about overcoming rejection. Oh, boy, you picked the right one. (laughs) (laughs) How do you do it? How do you deal with rejection, whether it's personally or professionally? I'm glad you asked me this because I'm a good person to ask because I had a lot of that in my youth. And actually, even when I was in movies, early movies and stuff. First of all, I came here from Puerto Rico when I was uh, four and five years old. That's one of the very first things I had to deal with. Literally, we came by ship. Wow. Because who could afford airplanes in those days? I didn't speak English. And then my very first year, I went to kindergarten in public school, and nobody, of course, spoke Spanish. Why would they? More than that, this was before the diaspora, so there were very few Puerto Ricans in New York City. So there was nobody around, no kids. And I found out soon enough, even at five, which is so amazing to me, that a lot of people just didn't like Hispanics. Hmm. And I got called some terrible names very young. People don't realize how tender children are. They also have antennae all over them. And they're very sensitive creatures. So if you're told often enough that you don't have value and that you're not a good person, you believe it because you're five. And, you know, you grow up with this. And that's the bad part. You grow up with this. It really stays with you. You develop a crust. Mm. I don't know how else I can put it. Good way to put it. You develop something to protect yourself. But the problem with that is that the people who are 
throwing these insults at you don't get it. They don't know they're hurting you. And to make a very long story short, I went into uh, psychotherapy Mm. when I was in my early 20s. And it's really the only thing that helped me. Now, I know that a lot of people despise even the thought of psychotherapy. But I was very lucky. I had a I just happened to choose a terrific man. And that helped me a great deal. Because what he had to do was a big job with respect to me. He had to convince me that I had value and that I had worth. And I was a 20-year-old person, 23, 24, 25, I mean, forever, that I wasn't worth anything. And, uh, you know, I sometimes wonder how I managed, because I was a person who, I had antenna everywhere. And I could spot a slight from somebody at 20 paces, because you get that sensitive. This happens a lot to Black people as well. Mm-hmm. And here's what you have to try to avoid, and this is very hard. You have to try to not let anger get the best of you, uh-huh. because anger is self-defeating. Wow. Now, it's easy for me to say, but it's not easy for me to say, because I was there, and I have lived through this. Yeah. Something happened to me just about three years ago at a very big event, and I couldn't believe that it was happening to me. What happened? I was being honored at this particular place, a very uh, prestigious, really prestigious place. Like they had a valet guy there, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they had more than that, too. They, had, they even had butlers. Ooh, wow. Okay. Before the actual dinner, they had pictures of all of these people they were honoring. There were about five of us. Mm-hmm. Very, very, some extremely famous some not, but who were very well known. And I was one of them. And first of all, they didn't let me choose the picture I wanted. And it was not a very, it was okay. All the other pictures were fabulous and they were in color. That was number one. Number two, when all these things were disrobed, as it were, they were covered. When they were uncovered, including mine, I was facing this particular wall. And they were amazing. Uh, Spike Lee's was an incredible, great photo. And uh, I called the lady over who was in charge, and I said, "Uh, where's mine? And she said, oh, it's in back of you. It's in back of me? And I want to say, why? Why isn't it there? Mm -hmm. And I turned around, and there's this black and white of me. All of these are color, and they're big. They're like 8 by 14 or something. I just literally went white. And I said, why, why isn't it on the other side? And I remember immediately my eyes got wet and I thought, don't you dare. Don't you dare, especially in, in an event like this. And she said, well, I what's wrong with it? I said, never mind. Anyway, I'm just putting this in a, in a capsule. but." Mm-hmm. It was very, very meaningful. Can I ask, does it remind you, because I totally empathize with that. It brings you back to another time where somebody made you feel less than and small and unimportant and that you weren't, you weren't good enough to have that. And more than that, not just the size, it wasn't even the size. It was this wall. 
It wasn't on the you. wall with the other people who were being honored. I could, I still don't understand it. Right. I still don't get it. I don't know how I got through it. Really, that's how much it. That's how hurt I was. I was horribly, horribly, horribly hurt. Now, if you hadn't gone through all the therapy and everything, it'd have been a lot harder. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it would have been impossible. I came home and fell apart. I just, I had to fall apart. Oh, and bless I, your heart. I let myself do it because in the old days, I would not have allowed myself to cry. Oh, hmm. so it's good to have that release, let it go. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had terrible experiences and I never cried and I always held my own and all uh-huh. that. And, uh, you know, I don't call that brave. I call yeah. that avoiding. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really answer your question. How do you live with it? First of all, I think you have to be able to say, and this is insanely difficult. You have to be able to have the courage to say to the person who's hurt you, you have hurt me. You know how hard that is? Do you know how hard that is? Because right away, it puts you in a very vulnerable place. Mm -hmm. You've hurt my feelings. Wow, what did I do? Ah, You don't have a sense of humor, you know, whatever. I learned to do that through therapy. I'm very good with with stuff like that. I can do that. I can confront it. I'm known as being a very direct person. And that comes really from uh, psychotherapy. Uh I do know this, and this I learned in, in psychotherapy, that anger and reacting angrily does nothing but hurt you. It makes you ultra defensive. It makes you helpless, really. And mm. that's what you don't want. That's what you really don't want to happen. Right. And uh, I always tell people, therapy was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because here's the funny thing. The person who suggested I go into therapy was a, a sicko named Marlon Brando, who was my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll never forget that. You know, he said to me one day, you need help. <laughs> Okay, this is one of my favorite sentences that I've ever heard. This lunatic was saying to me, you need help, Rita. <laughs> but I actually, I knew I did. And I needed that one person to just push me over. And I was very lucky because I found someone who was great for me. Perfect. And in fact, I said to him many years later, because we became kind of friends, kind of, an occasional phone call friend. Uh, and I said, you know, it's all your fault. He, this man drove me away from you. Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) I got help and he told me that I needed to be away from you. So it was your fault. Oh yeah. But that was hard. It was one of those relationships where we were truly, both of us were truly just extremely hung up on each other. It was a very uh, tempestuous relationship. He was a very sexy man. Uh Oh yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting that you were talking about early on that as a young girl, you had felt so rejected you know, and different and people were awful to you. And then you build up this crust and you go into a profession where, you know, you're going to be rejected all the time. But, you know, it's only a crust. It's only a crust. And like, that's the thing is like, I, I understand what you say about it's it's telling somebody that you hurt me means showing them that your crust wasn't strong enough. And we don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But I think people look at you and let's face it, you're you're a PGOT winner. I mean, you have a Peabody, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony. You missed one, but never was counting. 
<laughs> and the Kennedy Center honor, right? I mean, that, is that where you and Reba met? I mean, look, I mean, I've got a people's choice, but please, you know, uh, it certainly doesn't compare to the ladies I'm looking at right here. But I look at both of you with these amazing careers and everyone would look at you and think, well, you know, it's they have everything. They've never felt rejected. And I, I think it's powerful for people to, to see you and to hear those stories. And the fact that just three years ago, you can leave an event and be in tears because somebody hurt you. And people can relate to that. You can be at an office party. It doesn't have to be a, a giant thing. And somebody can say just that wrong thing that's that chink in your armor and, and get you. After you won the Oscar for West Side Story, you took a seven-year break from acting. How come? I didn't take the break. Okay. That's what I was wondering. That one broke my heart. Yeah. Because I won an Oscar, and I also won uh, the uh, Golden Globe uh-huh. for Best Featured Actress of that year. I didn't work in movies for seven years. What? Go figure. I, I don't know. Broke my heart. I didn't do a lot of crying. I didn't do any crying. But was it, you're saying that this wasn't your choice. It wasn't like you just were wasn't the, my the choice. best movie ever. Wasn't West Side Story. I was offered some stuff, but I was offered the Latina Conchita Lolita stuff uh-huh. again. And I remember when I held the Oscar in my arms and I said to myself, I will never, ever do those parts again. Because I did a lot of them. And yeah. I did a lot of them because I needed to work one, which was called Rent Money. Mm-hmm. And I also needed to work because you had to show your face. If you didn't show your face in, in some kind of medium, people would forget you. So I was I was between a, a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I didn't. I turned down not many movies. Anyway, I turned down about three or four, and they were all these Conchita Lolita things, <laughs> and that really broke my heart. That made me so sad. Didn't cry. But it made me very defensive. I became a very, very defensive person. I had to be really, really careful. Yeah. I did do television. Thank God. But it was mostly Indian maidens. Mm -hmm. Those kind of parts with uh, feathers, literally with feathers in my head and all that. All the... They had a lot of Westerns on television at the time. And they had a lot of use and call for senoritas Mm -hmm. in Western towns. That's where I literally made my living, that and Social Security. Yeah. That's how I literally paid the rent. Wow. Quite a bit of television. Yeah. They put you in a box. You were sort of pigeonholed. How did you break out of that? How Or are you still breaking out of it? It was to do theater, and I did a lot of uh, summer theater. Mm -hmm. And I played parts that I would never have been offered in films. I played... Annie Solomon and the Miracle Worker with the Irish accent. I had to talk like that. I did. <laughs> Wonderful. Rita with an accent like that. How can you do that? <laughs> I was, I'm very good. I have a good ear. I love it. And, you know, you held the record, too. Like, didn't you hear, hold the record that you won the EGOT in the shortest amount of time, like 16-year span, that you got the Oscar? I got them all. Yeah. yeah. And you were, the, you were the record holder for a long time. Like so- I was. It's true. I was. Congratulations. I'll tell you a marvelous story. This you'll love because it's very positive. I need to do a positive. I tried to do away with myself many, many years ago. Really? I took too many pills on purpose. Yeah. And it was because of Marlon Brando and the relationship. It was a horrible time in my life. Anyway. I survived. Thank you, Jesus. Uh-huh. But a couple of years later, 
I was being interviewed on telly, and uh, they, they, they brought up the suicide attempt. And I said, normally I wouldn't talk about this because it's, you know, it cheapens something so important in your life and so sad by giving it five minutes. I said, but I think it's important to talk about it because so many people don't and won't. So I talked about it and then I said, for those people who are contemplating something like this, don't do it. Don't do what I did. I didn't consult with anybody. Mm. You know, you can talk to your priest, you can talk to your parent, you can talk to a friend, but talk to somebody. Don't suffer in silence, which is what I was doing. And then I did this. And by the way, I nearly bought it. Hmm. I very nearly bought it, I found out. So I did this interview a couple of years after that. And then about a year later, I walk into the lobby of the Waldorf Astoria, which is huge. And I see a woman going like this waving frantically at me all the way across the lobby. And she ran over to me and I thought it's a fan. And she started to cry and put her arms around me and kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just let her and then I said, for what? And she said, I saw that show where you said, don't do it. Talk to somebody. And she said, you saved my life. Oh, oh my gosh. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, yes. I'm sure this has happened with other people, but you don't, it's not something you ever expected. That yeah. This woman, she said, I was about to do it. That's lovely. Absolutely. And then I thought, wow, you really do have an influence on people. You've got to be you got to treat that with loving care. Yeah. When I had that experience with the lady, I found that I have an enormous power, and that all, and, and I'm happy to share it, and that I, I I will do that whenever I can when I'm able. Oh, wonderful! That's great. By the way, I'm not religious at all. It's important to mention that because it's something else. It's something other than that. Okay. What do you think it is? Besides other than religion, is just spiritual? I don't know. Yeah. It's a mystery, but it should be a mystery. Yeah. Wow, Rita, that story's incredible. Now, we're going to take a quick break and come back to hear more amazing stories in just a minute. Y'all stick around. What's a rejection or a failure that you experienced that turned out to be the biggest blessing in your life? Well, I'll tell you one, that, but I didn't realize at the time that it was doing that. This is one of the worst professional times of my life. I hadn't worked in movies at all for about three years. And finally, my agent called and said, I have a script for you. I said, oh, is it any good? He said, yeah. And it's not a uh, Conchita Lolita. I said, oh, God, let me see that. It was a featured part with about maybe three scenes or four scenes, but it was delicious. It was funny. It was sexy. It was all the good stuff. So I worked on that script like a dog. Every nuance, every breath, I worked on that thing so hard. So comes the time for the audition, which was to be in the 
in the director's office. And I get there and I take off my coat and put down my bag. And I said, I can't wait to do this for you because I think I, I think I have a bead on it. And I showed him the scene I was going to do for the audition. And he was, he was an Englishman, and he was very famous. <clears throat> and he said, oh. He said, uh, oh, no, dear. He said, that, that's not the part. <gasps> You're serious. And I said, oh. He said, no, dear. <clears throat> the part we want you to read for is the Mexican whorehouse, madam. Oh, my gosh. At this point, I had already won an Oscar, a Tony, a Grammy, and two Emmys. I tell you, the blood left me. I felt so humiliated. My face was on fire with embarrassment and humiliation. What do I say to this man? And I finally said, because you could hear the intake of air from everybody in the room. And I closed the script, and I handed it to him, and I said, I'm sorry. I mean, my voice was trembling. Uh, I don't do whorehouse madams. And he said, oh, no, no, darling, you don't understand. I said, no, no, you don't understand. And I very slowly took my coat, put it on while they all painfully watched me, closed my coat, picked up my shoulder bag, put it on my shoulder and slowly walked out of the room. I went to my car, got in my car, and wept, and wept, and wept. I went home, and my husband said, how'd it go? And I said, oh, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get it. I, it didn't work, unfortunately. He said, oh. And I went two days, and he finally said, Rita, what really happened? Only a husband, a loving husband, right? Right. I burst into tears and I told him. And he did something so wonderful for me. He took me in his arms and he stroked my head. And he reminded me that I had value. Oh. That I was a wonderful actress. And that it was unfortunate, but that's the kind of thing that happens to people who are from another nationality. He said, but that doesn't change who you are. He says, you are your wonderful and exquisite self. Wow. Well, that's a sweet ending to a horrible story. Oh, my gosh. So if you could give a message to any, it doesn't have to be, you know, a young actress, but just any young woman or young person, what would be your best piece of advice in dealing with rejection in that moment? Persevere. Oh, absolutely. Don't let anybody tell you what you should do with your life. If you have something that you love, I say, do it. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Amen. That's what I'm saying. Don't ever let anybody try to throw your focus. You have a right to wish what you want for yourself. Don't tell me what my aim is in life. You don't know me. You don't know me. I agree 100%. Rita, we always do a game during our podcast. 
So if you'd like to join us in this little game, Melissa's come up with one that I think is very entertaining. We're going to play a little game that we call Never Have I Ever. So I'm going to give a statement. And if you've never had this happen or done this, you can say never. If you have, you stay silent. Okay. Got it. Okay. Here we go. Never have I ever gotten a speeding ticket. Never. Never? Does somebody else drive you all the time? No. (laughs) (laughs) I I just don't speed it. And I'm also lucky. Okay. You're lucky. All right. Here we go. Never have I ever pranked a friend. Lots of times. Okay. You both have. You both have pranked friends. I love to pull pranks. I am a born prankster. Love it. What's the best prank you ever pulled? I don't remember because I'm 87. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. All right. Never have I ever been told by Marlon Brando, I need to seek help. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. I had to say that one. That's amazing. All right. Never have I ever gotten a tattoo. Never. Never. (gasps) Really? Wait, but you told me you got one of my face for your birthday. You didn't do that? Well, I had to get that one erased. Sorry, Melissa. No, I have never. I have tattoos. Here we go. Never have I ever seen a ghost. Never. 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 Okay. Never have I ever thrown a drink on someone. (gasps) Never. 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 I'm not going to waste a drink. Here we go. Um, Never have I ever sent a text to the wrong person. Never. I have. And email. And email. I've done both. Oh, my God. Yes. Very embarrassing. Never have I ever dated Elvis Presley. Never. Never. Oh, Rita, tell us. Who did Did you know? I did know. That's why I threw it in. You knew. I didn't date him for long, but what happened was that Marlon was such a womanizer. And uh, I got just furious at him one time because I found somebody's clothing. Let's just put it that way. Uh In his place. And about two days later, literally, my phone rang and I hear this voice. I said, hello. And they said, Miss Marina. And I said, "Uh, yes. They said, this is Colonel Parker. <laughs> and he said, I uh, handle Elvis Presley. And I said, yes, I know. He said, well, my client, Elvis, spotted you at the, uh, in the commissary at 20th Century Fox. I can't do that accent well. And uh, he said, he just liked what he saw. Well. And uh, he'd like very much to meet you. Would you like to meet him? And this was right after this Marlon thing where I was furious at him. And I thought about Marlon and I thought about that girl's underwear. And I said, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out with so uh, Elvis invited me. Like the next day he was doing one of his movies. I think it was Jailhouse Rock. And uh, he invited me to visit him and have lunch with him at uh, Paramount Studios, where it was shooting. And I did. I got there a little early for lunch, and I watched him shoot for a while. He had kind of slightly soft looks. Not really my type, but, I mean, it was Elvis Presley, and, uh, and I was angry at Marlon. Perfect. So we had lunch, and then he called me after that for a date. 
And we went to a nightclub, which no longer exists, called the Moulin Rouge here in Hollywood. This was the days before social media, but let me tell you, it was in every newspaper the next day. Not bad. Every newspaper. Marlon either heard about it or saw it written, and he was angry. He was so angry, he threw chairs. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, I don't he think I can ask a better question to end the game. Like, that's amazing. And that the fact that your rebound guy to sort of get back at your boyfriend was Elvis Presley. The Most other people, king. The, the other king, king. The king and the king. Most people are like, oh, I'll show you. I'm going to date Chad from accounting. But you date. <laughs> you date. Elvis Presley, who, by the way, I still think was one of the most beautiful men ever. And I take him in the younger days, the older days. Yes, Elvis. Like I, he was. He was beautiful. Beautiful. Did he sing a song to you at all? He hummed. He hummed. He hummed. Hmm. Interesting. Oh and we did kiss the second time we went out. Yeah. It's in my book, and I don't want to say anymore. Well, you, since you just mentioned the book, what's what's the name of your book? So we can oh, all get yes. it and read up and fi- I, I, I finish the story. you can still get it. I'm not sure. I think you can still get it on Amazon. And it's just the Rita Moreno, a memoir. Okay. Okay. There's some funny stories. Oh, there's some wonderful showbiz stories that you'll Good. love. Good. I, I love that. that. I, I can't love wait. That. Me too. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Goodbye, girls. What a pleasure. So nice. Thank you, Rita. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Wow, what a phenomenal show today. Thanks to our guest, Rita Moreno, who is a living legend and just a wonderful human being, sharp as a tack and so full of wisdom. Don't you think so, Melissa? I mean, what are you thinking about now after our conversation? Uh, Well, the first thing I'm thinking is I can't believe I just got to talk to my first EGOT winner. And it was someone I'm a huge fan of, Rita Moreno. I mean, you can just feel her energy, you know, through uh, the microphone. She's just so vibrant and amazing. And yeah, I'm still processing all the the wise things and interesting and amazing things she she sort of gave us. What about you, Rita? Is anything, anything Rita said just blow your mind? Well, what I like about Rita so much is that she's so honest and frank about what she has been through in her life. And Huge disappointments, great accolades, wonderful successes, but how she dealt with the disappointments in her life, it just shows how human she is. And and, and it makes it easier on us to when we do have disappointments in our life that we can handle it with as much grace as Rita did. So it's just it's just very important, I think. Well, I thought it was just incredible to talk to somebody who's had this life of, you know, from the outside in, you know, it's just this dazzling, glamorous, you know, amazing career and life. But, you know, she's also had a lot of really deep lows and was so honest about sharing them. And I think that's really important for all of us to remember that, you know, a lot of things look shiny from the outside and and no one's life is perfect. And we can be on top of the world and one little slight that we imagine or real can just, you know, make us all feel really small. And I love that she was willing to share her humanity in that way. You know, because the thing is, no matter who we are or what we do, we all face rejection sometime in our life. And, and like Rita, it's about finding that grace to recover and move on, move past it. That's what makes you grow as a person 
I mean, if you don't ever have any mistakes, how can you learn what not to do next? Rita's ability to find the door that opens after the window closes. That's very inspiring. So thanks a bunch, Rita, for being a great guest on our show today. I've learned a lot from you, your amazing life story, and I hope all of our listeners have too. We'll see y'all next time on Living and Learning. Bye-bye. Living and Learning with Reba McIntyre is a Spotify original podcast. Hosted and produced by me, Reba McIntyre, and my dear friend, Melissa Peterman. Our executive producers are Liz Gately, Yasi Salek, Gina Delvac, Danny Trebatch, and Justin McIntosh. Also produced by Dylan Rupert. Michael Hardman is our editor. Original music is composed by Doug Sizemore. Special thanks to Cultivated Entertainment, Leah Edwards, Alec Nelson, Robert Adler, and Casey Simonson for production support.